The second reading is 1 Samuel chapter 8. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and preferred justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you that they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they had done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until the day forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them, will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his right. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands, and commanders of fifty, and others to plough his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and to cook and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king that you had chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they cried, we want a king over us. Then we will be like the other nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, Everyone go back to your own town. Here ends the reading. Hi, my name's Rick, and I'd love to add my welcome to Dave's. It's great that you can join us on the live stream today, whether you're watching live or delayed later on. It's great that you're with us. As Dave said, we're jumping back into this series in 1 Samuel that we began earlier in the year. We've looked at chapters 1 to 7 and we're jumping back in at chapter 8 that Roz just read for us, which is a bit of a turning point in the story. 
And also, as Dave said, there will be a chance for questions later on and the, and the question number will appear on the bottom of the screen throughout the sermon. But let's pray again as we come to reflect a bit more on this part of God's word. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you will give us ears to hear and hearts to trust what you have to say to us so that we will be people who all the more live in faithfulness to your word and to your son, Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. I wonder what it is that makes you feel secure or perhaps insecure. Is it having enough money in the bank or not enough money? Or if you've got a house, is it being on track to paying that off or maybe feeling that's a bit uncertain? Maybe it's the relationships that you have around you and security that can come from that. Or again, maybe the lack of those. Or maybe it's your job and feeling like you've got some security in that and in your ability to do it well. Or maybe in our current climate, it's now having a bit of a better idea of what the next few months are going to look like so you can plan ahead and have some stability in that. Is that what can make you feel more secure at the moment? Or maybe it's something that we tend to take for granted, like having a government that is relatively stable and secure, you know, knowing that we're not prone to having violent coups or leaders that are uncontrolled, tyrannical rulers. You know, there are lots of things in life that can make us feel secure or insecure for lack of them. And that concern for security is nothing new. It was the same for Israel back 3,000 years ago, which is where we pick the story up in 1 Samuel chapter 8 that we're looking at today. As I said, we began looking at one, the book of Samuel earlier in the year. The year is about 1,000 BC. And from chapter 1, we began following the story of the young boy named Samuel, a boy who God raised up, born of a woman who could not have children, to become the leader that Israel needed. Not a leader who would fight their battles for them, but a leader who would bring them back to God. And now, as we pick up the story again, Israel have been enjoying a time of good leadership and peace for the past 20 years under Samuel. But as we jump back into the story in chapter 8, our passage begins with Israel facing a very real problem. As I said, they've just had 20 years of peace and good leadership from Samuel. But now Samuel's time is coming to an end. He's getting old and he has appointed his sons to rule Israel, but they're not like him. And that's the problem. We're told there in verse 2 that his sons do not follow in his ways. And, and, and as you read it, they're, they're almost the exact stereotype of corrupt leaders. You see it there, they seek dishonest gain they take bribes, and they pervert justice. That is not the kind of leaders that you want. And Israel, they come to Samuel with this problem and with their proposed solution. You can see their solution in verses 4 and 5. Let me read it for you. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. You see the solution that they've come up with? We need a king like all the other nations have. 
You know, we've been looking at the nations around us. We've seen that that seems to work for them. And so we've decided that's what we need. We want to be like those other nations. Give us a king. See, what they want is more stability in leadership from generation to generation. And they've decided that a monarchy like the other nations have, that's what will do that for them. Now, as, as I read this, though, I mean, is, is it just me or is there something clearly wrong with their thinking at this point? See, the problem they've identified is that a good leader, Samuel, can have bad sons. And so their solution is to move to a system of government that has leadership passing from father to son as one of its fundamental principles. That's one of the key aspects of having a king, hereditary rule. Something is completely wrong with their thinking at this point. And not just at this point, because, you know, they've had this exact same problem before. If you do remember back when we began this series earlier in the year, you might remember their previous leader, Eli, and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Eli the priest was a good leader, but his sons, they were terrible, as bad, if not worse, than Samuel's sons. They abused their positions of power, they took from the people, they stole from the people who come to make offerings to God, and they slept with the women who served at the tent of God. So that's the track record they've got. With their last two leaders, they've been plagued by the problem of good leaders being followed by bad sons and appointing those sons as leaders to follow them. And now they want to enshrine that principle of hereditary leadership into the political framework of their nation. It seems to me that that is just plain stupid. But not only is their solution stupid, more importantly, it's an unfaithful solution. See, they've asked for a king to lead them, but throughout their history, God has been their ruler. And God has raised up the human leader that they needed when they needed it. That's what God has always done for them. That's been the story of the book of Judges, which comes directly before 1 Samuel and is kind of the background to this story. And in fact, Samuel himself is one of those judges and he's the perfect example of God raising up the leader they needed right when they needed it. And now they've had a, a long period of good leadership and peace under his leadership. They've returned to God, they've had peace with the nations around them. Now the thing is though with judges is that it wasn't consistent like a monarchy where you know who's going to be the next king. But God always raised up the leader they needed when they needed it. And in fact, when Israel tried to crown one of their judges as a king and, have made, and start a kingdom with, um, with him and his sons and grandsons, that was with Gideon, Gideon said, no, that's not right. God is our ruler. And here in verse 7, that's exactly what God says is the problem now. They are rejecting God as their king. Let me read from verse 7 and 8. And the Lord told him, that is told Samuel, listen to all the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. 
so they are doing to you. See, God is very clear that that's what the problem is with their their planning. They are rejecting him as their ruler. See, God had selected them and he had saved them to be different to the other nations. He set them apart as his treasured possession, to be his alone, and he cared for them and he looked after them and he provided for them. And he's been faithful to his promises all along from the very beginning. But now they're saying, actually, no. We want to be like the other nations. We want the stability and the security of having the kind of leadership they've got. And they make that absolutely clear in verse 19 and 20. Have a look at it there at the end of the chapter. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and to fight our battles. They want to be like the other nations rather than a people who are set apart for God and who trust God for those things, for stability and the security that they want. So their solution, as I said, is an expression of their unfaithfulness to God. They don't trust him. But, you know, despite being stupid and unfaithful, I think we still need to recognise that it is an understandable solution that they've come up with. You see, they're nervous about the inconsistency, sorry, about not having the consistency and stability that they think a monarchy will provide, particularly in the volatile environment they're in where they could be attacked by the nations around them at any time. And and, and so they want a king who can lead them in that environment. They want someone who can fight their battles for them. So you can kind of understand that, right? Simply having to trust God to raise up the next leader they need when they need it, that feels so uncertain and insecure. And I think we need to, to recognise that and the appeal of this idea that they've come up with. Because, you know, there will be times when we have to walk in their shoes in this kind of way. Yes, they are being unfaithful to God, but unfaithfulness is almost always understandable or reasonable from some point of view. They haven't come up with this idea because they like bad ideas. They've come up with it because it meets a need. It's appealing. And that's the thing with unfaithfulness. It almost always has something going for it. It's understandable and reasonable. You know, as, as I think about it, in, in all my time as a Christian and speaking with my friends and as a pastor as I speak to people, I've never met someone who's doing something that, you know, God says they shouldn't be doing, but who says, look, I know this is a bad idea. There is nothing good going for this idea. I know that, I understand it. It's a bad idea from beginning to end and God doesn't want me to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. I've, I've never had that conversation with someone. It's always, this makes sense. This is reasonable from some point of view. You know, the, the husband who's developing an increasingly close relationship with a woman who's not his wife, and he can list a dozen reasons why this is a good idea. Or the woman whose loneliness is leading her towards a relationship that is not helpful. Of course that's understandable. 
The call to trust God and the need to trust God is almost always in the face of a reasonable and understandable alternative. It's almost always in the face of a challenge that makes trusting God difficult. That's the rub. That's that's the challenge. That's exactly the point where God calls us to trust him. It's an understandable solution. Now, jumping back into 1 Samuel again, surprisingly, God tells Samuel to listen to the people's request. He says it twice. But in between those two times, he gives them a warning. He warns them that what they want is not going to be good for them. So back in verse 2, you, you might have noticed that one of the marks of Samuel's son's corrupt leadership is that they accept bribes. Literally, they take bribes. And then here in verses 9 to 18, where God is warning them about the kind of king they're asking for, he uses that same word four times. He will take. He keeps using it to describe what this king will do to them. Verse 11, he will take your sons and make them his slaves, his servants. Verse 13, he will take your daughters. Verse 14, he will take the best of your fields and vineyards. Verse 15, he will take your grain and your wine, your servants and your animals. He will take, he will take, he will take. This is God's warning about the king they want. It will not be good for you. But they don't listen to the warning. They want a king like all the other nations and they want the security that they think that will provide. And as I said, surprisingly, God says, yes, give them the king they want. But that's not necessarily a good thing. God does give them what they want, but it seems that this is God's judgment on them. As God often does, God's punishment is to give them what they want. They don't want God as their ruler? Well, they're going to have to deal with the consequences of not living under God's good rule, living without the goodness that goes with that. And in weeks to come, we're going to see what that looks like. But as is often the case, as, as God does, he peppers that judgment with mercy. But, you know, they're asking for a king. It's not what they should be doing. It's not uh, what God has told them to do. But it's not as if having a king is completely against what God wants for them. It's just the kind of king that they want. And the reason that they want a king, that's the problem. In fact, hundreds of years before this date where they're asking for a king, back in Deuteronomy chapter 17, before they've even entered the land that they're in now, God anticipated them asking for a king and he told them that's okay and what kind of king they should want. And it was specifically not the kind of king that we've just seen described in this chapter. Not a king like the other nations have. Not a king who will take for himself and who will put himself above those he leads. The king who God wanted for them was a king who would lead the people in faithfulness to God because he himself is faithful to God. He will lead the people in the way that God wants them to live. He will be humble and not consider himself better than those he leads. Instead, he will lower himself to serve those he leads. And I wonder, 
Does that sound familiar? A thousand years after this time, when Jesus was heading to Jerusalem amid whispers that he might be the king that God has promised, while they're on the way, his disciples are arguing with each other about which one of them is the greatest in God's kingdom. But Jesus rebuked them and he said that he leads an upside-down kingdom where the first will be last and the last will be first. He said, don't be like the rest of the world who fights over who is the greatest. He said, the rulers of the Gentiles, the kings of the other nations, they put themselves above the people they serve, they lead, sorry. But my kingdom is not like that. And that's not the kind of king that I am. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Yes, Jesus was a king, but specifically a king not like the other nations. This king didn't come to take, he came to give. He humbled himself, he lowered himself, and he gave his life, because that was the kind of king that we needed. So what does this mean for us and for our security? Well, it means that we need to trust what God has given us, that that is what we really need. See, the Israelites were looking to the nations around them to define what it was that they need, what security looks like. But God says that security is found in him. And so all we needed was someone who could bring us back to God. Because if we are right with God, then everything is okay. And that's what Jesus has done for us. And he wants us to trust him in that. Ultimately, that's all the security that we need. And everything else flows from that. Now, in some ways, as we think about this, this is really a broader example of what we looked at last week when it comes to money. You know, we look to the world around us and we, we, we seek from them what it is that will provide the security and the stability and the comfort that we want. Financial security, security in relationships, security in, in government and political security. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with those things in themselves. We pray for our governments for peace, and we're told to do that, that they will provide a peaceful and stable environment for us to live in, and that's a good thing. But what the Israelites forgot, and what we tend to forget, is that security doesn't come from those things, from, from money, from relationships, from government. Security comes from God who gives us those things. And so what God wants from us is to faithfully trust him first. And so to live with the values of his kingdom, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and to trust him with those other things rather than panicking in uncertainty and so chasing after the security in those other things that the world around us values. And what that means is, what trusting God means in those situations is doing what he says. And often that goes against what the world around us is doing. So, for example, think about what I just mentioned of what Jesus says about greatness and what that really looks like in his kingdom. 
that the first will be last and the last will be first. What will it mean like? What will it mean for me to trust God in that? Well, it means that I will aim to be humble rather than chasing the impressiveness and the power and the status that everyone else around me is doing and that the world really values. You know, we want to define our, ourselves and our position in the world by where we fit in relation to other people. These are the anchor points that make me feel valued. They give me security in status or perhaps a lack of security if we don't have it. But Jesus says, don't worry about that. Don't chase after those things. Just trust that I've got you and that you're secure in my hand. And that is both freeing and unsettling. It's freeing because we don't have to worry about status and, and, and those kinds of things. But it's unsettling because that's what everyone else is doing and it seems like it matters. And another thing that will do for us is it will make us good citizens because we can engage positively and non-anxiously with our government knowing that that's not where security comes from. Now, we know the value of good government and we want to support that. And we have in our country the freedom to engage and, and to debate and even to oppose our government on certain issues. But we can do that non-anxiously and legally because we know that security is not tied to those decisions that our government makes for us or even the competence of our government. We know that whatever happens politically around us, we are secure in God's hands. And that frees us to be godly and faithful citizens first as we engage with our government. So there are lots of ways where our security should lead us to rest confidently in God and to do the things that he tells us to do. But as I said, the real test of our faithfulness is always when the unfaithful option seems reasonable, seems understandable. Whether it is in, in, in marriage or singleness, when, living, when not living God's way seems like the better option, or in being honest and trusting God with the outcome, rather than the apparent security that might come from kind of manipulating the truth so that I can control the situation around me and the people around me, or submitting to government even when it seems unreasonable, or being generous with my money even when it costs. It all comes down to what is the path of security that I trust in? Is, that what, is it what I see the people around me doing? Or is it knowing that Jesus brings me back to God where I can trust that he has me safe in his hands? That's perhaps the unsettling option. But that's where God calls us to trust him. And he has shown himself to be infinitely trustworthy. Let's pray that we will trust him. Heavenly Father, you know uh, those times specific to each of us where we seek security in the wrong places and we are tempted to not trust you. Father, we do ask that you will draw us back to Jesus to see your love for us in that, to see your faithfulness to us in that, so that we do trust, trust you first. And so as a result, we seek first your kingdom 
and your righteousness and that that does affect the faithfulness in how we live. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.